Drew says I have a special touch with that microphone. Every time I walk up here, it starts buzzing. Um, maybe that's not that special. <laughs> it sure is good to see everybody tonight. We have a wonderful evening to be together, to, to worship God, and so thankful for everybody who's here. And um, personally, it's very gratifying to me to have folks from home uh, at almost every service to this, to this point. And uh, sure glad to see these, these good folks who come to visit with us from Sulphur Springs tonight, as well as all of our visitors who are here. If you'll turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4, Ephesians chapter 4, we are talking about building the body for Jesus. And as we talk about that, some, some look at that and they say, you know, there's nothing we can do to build the body for Jesus. It all has to be the work that God is doing specifically, that if God is not personally, specifically doing something, it just can't be done. And, and the reality is that while God is involved in every good thing that the people of God do, God implements people, and He always has. How was the Garden of Eden going to be tended? God employed people to tend the Garden of Eden. How would the Israelites be led through the wilderness, and how would they be guided once they got into the Promised Land? God would employ people. And when Jesus left this world... He told the apostles that the gospel needed to go to the whole world. And how is God going to accomplish that? He's going to use people. And God uses His people to strengthen His people. And in Ephesians chapter 4, we have a a wonderful passage that relates to that. And we're going to talk tonight about honoring God as a congregation. And right off the bat, I realize not everything in Ephesians 4, 11 through 16 is about local congregational action, but it certainly is touched on a lot in this paragraph. So let's read beginning with verse 11. And he gave some, Jesus gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and some as teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and to the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are no longer to be children, tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful plotting. But... Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into Him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. That is one of my favorite passages when you talk about the people of God working with each other in the will of God to help each other to be more like our Savior Himself in our character and in our lifestyle. What an amazing passage. Now what will it take when, it, when you talk about congregational action, about building up the body of Christ? Well, first of all, we can't start with congregational action. First of all, we have to start with Jesus. 
Jesus is the head of the body. Jesus is the one who died for our sins. Jesus is the one who exemplifies what it means for us to be the people of God. And everything about that passage is about becoming more like our Savior. So you have to start with Him. But Jesus is not personally walking beside you, telling you everything you need to know and do, and encouraging you along the way in some bodily sense in this world today. But rather, when he left this world, he handed the baton to the apostles and to the prophets. And thus, when you talk about congregational action, it requires leadership. But leadership starts with Jesus himself, and then it moves to the leadership that God uses when it comes to the apostles and prophets. So look in verse 11 again. He gave some as apostles and some as prophets. Those men are no longer walking the earth with us. They were for a limited period of time, and they are no more on this earth. So you can't go to the apostle Peter. You can't go to the apostle James. You can't go to some New Testament prophet and talk to them about the will of God and get instruction and encouragement and, and hope on a personal basis. But what they did is what God told them to do. For that, look at chapter 3. Look at chapter 3. Let's see what the apostles and prophets did by the will of God so that we can still have access to what they would have us know. In verse 2, If indeed you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace, which was given to me, Paul says, for you, that by revelation there was made known to me the mystery as I wrote, as I wrote before in brief. By referring to this, by referring to the written word, by referring to this, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. We can know what God wants us to know by looking at what God's inspired men wrote which in other generations, verse 5, was not made known to the sons of men as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets in the Spirit. Just like Jesus told the apostles, he says, it is to your advantage that I go away. He said, if I do not go away, the Holy Spirit will not come to you, apostles. But when I go away, he will come to you. And in John chapter 16 and verse 13, what is the role of the Holy Spirit related to the apostles? He will guide you into all truth. He would reveal to them and through them everything of the Word of God that God wants us to know, that God wants us to understand, that God wants us to do, and the hope that is involved in that. The Holy Spirit came to guide them into all truth. And here we see it's not just apostles who would be revealed the message of God by the Holy Spirit, but the prophets would too. Now, just real briefly, every apostle was a prophet. Every apostle was a prophet. Not every prophet was an apostle. There was authority invested in apostles that was not given to prophets. Prophets had part of what the apostles had, but the apostles had more. And as you look at the apostles and prophets, they were revealed the word of God by the Spirit, and they wrote it, as Paul said, so that when you read it, you can understand. Now, here's a very important point in this text as well. If you keep reading in Ephesians 3, what you find out is this mystery that was concealed in the Old Testament and revealed by the Spirit to the apostles and prophets in the New, here it is specifically referring to 
the fact that redemption in Jesus is not just for Israelites. It is for non-Jews as well. Now, when you take that back to chapter 4, and you see that we are all the same when it comes to our walk with God, at least we're supposed to be, that God is guiding us all in the same direction, then whether Jew or Gentile, bond or free, we have the same instruction that is given to us. And thus the mystery has been revealed and recorded so that we can read it. We still have access through what the Spirit revealed to apostles and prophets to everything God wants us to know and do. Somebody says, I I just wish I could talk to the Apostle Paul. I got some questions for the Apostle Paul. Well, who among us doesn't? But when you get right down to it, for our walk with God, there's not a thing he could tell us if he were personally with us that we can't find in the pages of the New Testament. Not a single thing. Because the Spirit guided them into all truth. And then they wrote down everything God wants us to know and do. So we look to the Scripture. We study the Scripture and the leadership in a universal way of the apostles and prophets we find in the Word of God. But now let's get to where the rubber hits the road. We don't have those two with us anymore personally, but we do have some people with us personally that are involved in the leadership of God's people. So in verse 11... Apostles and prophets, there's a universal uh, sense, but then we get to evangelists and pastors and teachers. Now, evangelists are preachers. In in our society, there's kind of this um, uh, misunderstanding of the term of evangelist. The idea in in the minds of some is that evangelist is is a traveling preacher. He's not a guy who's located anywhere. He's a traveling preacher. Well, an evangelist is a traveling preacher, but in First and Second Timothy, Paul told Timothy, you go to the city of Ephesus and you work with that congregation and you work with their elders and you do the work of an evangelist. An evangelist is a proclaimer and it's not limited to traveling. It's anybody who's proclaiming the will of God. Preacher and evangelist are used interchangeably in the New Testament. And so we see evangelists. We still have those with us today. We still have people who proclaim the Word of God. And by the way, the Word of God doesn't simply need to be some fireside chat. Sometimes the Word of God has to be proclaimed with authority, as Paul told Timothy to do. We've got to press the point. You look at the way it was done in the New Testament, and that becomes crystal clear. Then we have pastors. Pastors is another term for elders. That's another place where the language gets misunderstood in our society a lot today. In our society, pastor and preacher are often used interchangeably. In the New Testament, they are completely different roles. The word pastor literally means shepherd. And in Acts 20, 1 Peter 5, etc., the elders of a congregation are described as the shepherds of the local congregation. And thus we see that terminology. But that brings us to this. Elders are overseers of the flock which is among them. Not of a congregation somewhere else. They are overseers, they are shepherds of the flock where they are. 1 Peter chapter 5, Acts chapter 20. Elders are not universal church officials, so to speak. Elders are 
local church leaders. And so they are the guides, the shepherds of the local congregation. And so as you look at the terminology as it's used in Scripture, we see that the responsibility of shepherds is of the congregation where they are. It is of the members of the congregation where they are. And thus, we see that very important role. Now, that's one of the primary things we can see in this passage that's help, that helps us understand there is a strong local church flavor to what we read in Ephesians chapter 4. Because, my friends, we have brothers and sisters in Christ all over the world. But which ones do you interact with the most? And if it were not for the internet or the telephone, how many Christians in various places would you interact with? Not a lot. Our primary interaction with our brothers and sisters in Christ is going to be those brothers and sisters in Christ who are part of the local body of Christ where we are. A local congregation which is shepherded by elders, where teaching work is done, where we worship together, and where we are organized and we do the work of God for local congregations together. That is the primary way that that is done. And that's the primary emphasis that's being given in this passage as we continue on. So with the word revealed by the apostles and prophets and with the boots on the ground of evangelists and elders and teachers who work among us, especially in a local congregational setting, the following things are able to happen very, very well. So we go from leadership, which congregational action requires, leadership, next to purpose. For that, come to verse 12 and following. So what is the purpose of the leadership that we notice in verse 11? For the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, for the building up of the body of Christ. Now those three phrases you might look at as a triangle. And that may look more like a diamond. Anyway, it's supposed to be a triangle. <laughs> it's like a triangle where you have three different ways of expressing basically the same thing. These are synonymous phrases. And we see this kind of thing a lot, a lot in Scripture where you'll have uh, something said two different ways back-to-back or three different ways back-to-back. And, and instead of it being three totally different things, it's three facets of the same thing which are being used interchangeably to show you different flavors of the very same teaching that is being given. And so when you look at these three phrases and you see in verse 12, equipping of the saints. Secondly, work of service. Third, building up the body of Christ. Can you do one of those without doing all three of those? No, because it's basically the same thing. What's he saying? He's saying our job as leaders in a congregation and our job working with each other is we are to help each other be more like Jesus. Now, that said plainly as you get further into it. That's our job. I mean, folks, we are Christians. We are disciples of Jesus Christ and our job is to walk in his footsteps it is to be like him and it is to help each other look more like Jesus as we go through this world and Christianity divorced from the idea of being more like Jesus is not Christianity our whole job is to be like him and to help each other be like him. And everything he's told us to do is funneled in that direction. Everything he's told us to do 
is funneled in that direction. Let's keep looking at the passage. So notice in verse 13, the scope of this is until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. And I I used to read that and, and I had the idea that what he's talking about here was the message of God being completely revealed and recorded. And that's not what he's talking about. This is not about the revelation of the message. The revelation of the message is covered up there under apostles and prophets. This is the application of the message. And the application of the message is so that we might all be more and more unified, headed the same direction with one another, unified in the faith or in the gospel. And then he says that we might know more about the Son of God and reflect the knowledge of the Son of God more and more as we grow in Christ so that we might be mature, mature in our faith, strong in our faith, strong in our faith, so that we might have the same stature that belongs to the fullness of Christ. So when I was a kid and I was growing up, I was in elementary, and, and the, the boy that ended up becoming my best friend in high school, he's still my good friend today, Doug and I were talking about how strong our daddies were. And Doug gave a reasonable description of how big his daddy's bicep was. Well, of course, my daddy's bicep had to be bigger than Doug's dad's was. So when I told him how big my dad's bicep was, I put my hand further from my arm. Well, then, of course, Doug's dad all of a sudden grew bigger muscles, <laughs> and his muscle was this big, and then my dad's was this big. And, and, and it's five-year-olds being ridiculous is what it is. Five-year-olds being immature kids, that's what we're talking about here. But what Doug and I really were both saying, it, it's not so much about my daddy being better than you. No, my daddy's better than you. I really wonder what it was about. This is about he admires his dad and he wants to be strong like he views his dad and I admired my dad and I wanted to have strength like my dad had that's what that was really all about and we're not in competition with each other when it comes to being Christians we're not we're trying to simply you and me Be more like the one who is the standard of everything we claim we're trying to be. We're trying to be more like Jesus. And here what we notice is, my job is to help you be more like Jesus. And your job is to help me do the same. My job is not to put you in your place. My job is to try to help you, to to teach you, and to encourage you, and to urge you to be more like Jesus. And to set an example so that when you see me, What did Paul say? Imitate me as I also imitate Christ. That's what you and I need to be about. In everything we do, in all of our interactions together, that needs to be what we're about. In how we live when we're not interacting with each other, we need to be trying to live that kind of life. Now, I don't don't live up to that as well as I should or as well as I could, so I've got to keep growing. But if we all keep growing then we all are better equipped to help each other to be more like our master. That is our purpose. That is our purpose. Hold your finger there. Turn to Romans chapter 8. When it comes to 
the purpose of being Christians. Romans 8 is one of my favorite passages. Romans chapter 8, there's a lot more here than we're going to look at, obviously. But in Romans chapter 8, come down to verse 29. And it says, of, of those who would be in Christ, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined unto what end? This, is, this isn't saying that, that he, he handpicked arbitrarily some people to be Christians. No, what he's saying is, whoever is a follower of Jesus, here's what he decided ahead of time that, that we must be and that we must be striving for. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son. In the way I talk to you, I must do that in a way where I personally am trying to be conformed to the image of his son. And in the way I interact with you, I also must be trying to help you be conformed to the image of his son. If I lose sight of that, I've lost sight of everything that there is. Now, what's the purpose of being conformed to the image of his son? Keep reading. So that he, so that Jesus would be the firstborn among many brethren. Jesus is the beginning of the family of God. And you and I can be adopted into that. And by being more like him, we are fulfilling our purpose for what he wants us to be. Think about this. Being saved from our sins is, is, not, is not the end result. Being saved from our sins is not the end of anything except our past. Being saved from our sins is the beginning. And when a baby is born into this world, what is our hope for that child? That that child will grow up healthy, strong and grow into someone who is capable and mature someone who can take care of themselves and help take care of other people as it is needed that's what our hope is when a child is born and when a child is born into the family of God God's expectation for us and God's hope for us is that we would grow in Christ so we are able to follow him and to grow to be more like him and to help others be more like him too. That's what it's all about, to be a member of the body of Christ, to be a member of the church of our Lord Jesus Christ, to be a disciple of Jesus, to be a Christian. Let's go back to Ephesians 4. So in Ephesians 4, we see that we're to grow up to be more like Jesus. Now, what will happen? What will happen if, if I am more like Jesus and you are more like Jesus as we mature spiritually in this world? What's going to be the result of that? He says, well, one thing, as a result, verse 14, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. You see, the more I'm like Jesus, the less likely I am to be drawn away by false doctrine, by false practices, by immoral conduct, by mistreatment of other people, and every other sin you can imagine, the world will have a lot less draw to me the more like Jesus I become. 
And you know, you think about, he was talking about every wind of doctrine. There was false doctrine in the first century. And here we are 2,000 years later, and how, how many more forms of false doctrine are there now than there were back then? There's so much false doctrine around now, you can't even begin to try to list everything that there is that's contrary to the will of God. Can't even begin to. But the defense for that is to be well-grounded in Jesus. It is to be more like Him. It is to have knowledge that the Son of God imparts to us through what the apostles and prophets wrote by the inspiration of the Spirit. And it is about growing in the practice of those things that are right so that our defenses are strong. It's kind of, kind of like your immune system. If your immune system is down for whatever reason, then it just opens your body up to all kinds of difficulties that it otherwise would not have. But if your immune system is strong, you have a lot better opportunity to fend off these viruses and, and so forth that would attack your body and wreak havoc on your health. Well, spiritually, we are to help each other grow so that each of us has a better spiritual immunity to the ungodly things that are out there in the world. How do we do that? Well, in verse 15 he says, we are to be a people speaking the truth in love. That's how we grow up in all aspects into Him who is the head, even Christ. We speak the truth in love. I talked about it just a little bit in, in the lesson this morning. But you remember, when, when Jesus faced temptation, He faced it with a couple of things that we really need to grab onto. And one of those is the right information. We need the right information. We need to know what the truth of God says. But we don't just need information. We also need to have the right motivation, the right commitment to God and to His will to practice those things. And if those two things are in place in our lives, then what He says in verse 15, we'll be people who are capable of speaking the truth with the kind of character where we speak it not in hate, not in frustration, not in anger, not in jealousy, not in strife, but we will speak the truth in love. Having our speech with grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each one. Seems like Paul said that somewhere too, didn't he? And so speaking the truth in love, that, that's how we grow each other. We speak the truth and we do it with the right mind. And as we do that, we help each other to be stronger. So in verse 16, the result of that is that from, from Jesus, people who are growing into the fullness of Christ to be mature and, and to be in character like Jesus, it says, from Him the whole body, the whole body, that's you and me, were fitted and held together by what every joint, what every individual one does. We are working together and we're strengthening each other. And what does He say the final result of that is? causes growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Causes growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. And thus we see our purpose. Our purpose is to equip each other, to grow each other to be more like Jesus, to protect each other by maturing each other, to focus 
on speaking the truth in love and to be active, each of us being active so that we might grow each of us in the right kind of attitude. So congregational action requires leadership and it requires purpose and it requires, this isn't rocket science, (laughs) it requires action. It requires action. We talked about grace and faith last night and how that if God's attitude of grace did not lead him to act, we could not be saved. And if an attitude of faith in us does not lead us to submit to God, we cannot be saved. Grace and faith have to do with attitude, but attitude that leads to action. And for a local congregation to fulfill God's purpose for us as a local body in Christ, whether Southside in Sulphur Springs or Southside in Mount Pleasant or Southside anywhere else, or maybe even a congregation that doesn't go by Southside. (laughs) In order for a congregation to be what God wants it to be, we've got to get to work. We've got to get to work. Now, I'm going to be very brief with this part because tomorrow night's lesson will be a lot of practical application of this very same point. But in a more general way, I do want to say just a few things. And the first of those is, is this. When you talk about congregational action, congregational action is three things. It is edification, it is evangelism, and it is alms to poor saints. Those are the three categories of action that are involved in congregational action. Now, edification is, is broad. Edification includes a lot of different things. Uh, edification includes teaching. It includes preaching. Edification includes worship. There's so many things that are involved in edification. And, and our whole lesson tonight has been about edification, if you just boil it down to one word. Edification, as, as I have on the board, that is the heart of the matter of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. And so... Building each other up, strengthening each other to be more like Jesus. That is, I'm convinced, the primary work of a local body in Christ. To strengthen each other to be more like Jesus is the primary work of a local body in Christ. But now think about this. How are we going to be well equipped to evangelize? To try to reach the lost? if we are not mature in Christ ourselves. That's one of the reasons edification is so incredibly important. Under the oversight of elders, with the working of every member of the body of Christ as best we can to strengthen each other, to be more like Jesus, if we do that, we will be well equipped to reach out to those who are lost and teach them the gospel. Because we will know not just what it means to be more like Jesus, but we'll know what it means to help people become Christians in the first place. And not only will will we be well equipped for that, we'll be a lot more likely to do that the stronger we are in Christ. Then when you talk about alms to poor saints, we will be well equipped and, and we'll be likely to do that also if We have been strengthened to be followers of Jesus like we should. And so evangelism and alms to poor saints 
really the strength for that comes from being edified in Christ and being more like Him and how important that is. But I want to make one more point. Sometimes uh, there are folks that I've run into and they've, they've had the idea that everything that you do as a Christian has to be funneled through the activity of a local congregation. And that is just simply not true. Now, is it true that congregational action is incredibly important? Yes. Is it true that God wants us to be a part of a local flock submitting ourselves to the oversight of shepherds and working together in concert with fellow believers in that local body? Absolutely. That, that's without, without biblical question. That is true. But for example, it was never the local church's job to raise my kids. That was not the local church's job. That wasn't the elders of the local church's job. Um, it wasn't the deacon's job to raise my kids. It wasn't the Bible class teacher's jobs to raise my kids. That was my job. And there are a lot of individual responsibilities that we have that will not be funneled through the church treasury or the decision-making of elders because there are many individual responsibilities that God has given us. Another example, I, I've actually heard, heard said one time, well, you know, if the church is not the one that does all the giving to those who are in need from the church treasury, then, then God's not going to get the glory because it won't come from the church. Wait a minute. Who said the local group is the only way that God's will is done in every respect? That's just simply not true. In fact, let's stay in Ephesians 4. Come down to verse 28. Ephesians chapter 4 and in verse 28. Here it says, he, this is about individual application, he who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must labor, performing with his hands what is good, so that he will have something to share with one who has need. That, that is not about congregational action. That is not about the church treasury. That is not about the work of elders. Now, if you want to look somewhere else to talk about uh, the work of, of a congregation, in benevolence, we've got a lot of places we can turn. 1 Corinthians 16, 2 Corinthians 8, 2 Corinthians 9, Romans chapter 15. I could keep going. We have a lot of places we can turn for that. But that's not what this is about. This is about I am to work laboring with my hands because I know all kinds of people. And some of those people I know sometimes need help. And rather than appealing to the church to help everybody that needs help, this passage says that I'm to work laboring with my hands so that I can dig in my pocket and I can help somebody who is legitimately in need. Giving into the collection of the local congregation does not alleviate all of our responsibility for benevolence or anything else. There are things we work together in concert as a congregation to do but not everything a disciple of Jesus does is done in a group fashion. Just not. I was to raise my kids. I was to be the husband with Kelly. And there are certain needy people that it is my job to help, not yours. And I must dig in my pocket to do that as those times arise. So as you look at these things and you see congregational action, congregational action is not all there is. There's a lot of individual action too. 
But I want to come full circle with this point. And that is, in my individual action as a disciple of Jesus, part of what God expects me to do is to partner with other people as a member of a local congregation and work together with them. Work together with them because there are things He wants us to do as a group. And working together as a group, we also grow a lot stronger. I miss Kelly. And I'm going to miss her the rest of my life. And I'm going to miss her for a lot of reasons. But one of the reasons I'm going to miss her is because she was my family. She and I built a family. Our kids grew up and they moved on. And we continued to be to one another true family. And we interacted with a lot of people. Even together we interacted with a lot of people through the years. But we knew that we were family in a sense that nobody else could be with us. And we knew that the other folks we interacted with is as special as every one of you are to us and were to her. We knew the difference between us being family and guests who periodically visited our home, for example. But folks, I bring that up for this reason. As a local congregation, as a local body in Christ, we are not 7-Eleven. There as a convenience store to show up from time to time and get some benefit from being in some loose association with a congregation. No, as a congregation, we are family. We are family. We belong to God and we belong to each other because that's how God wants us to interact together. And rather than Burger King where you can have it your way, which used to be one of their slogans, we need to be here for the will of Jesus and help each other reflect the family honor that he made it possible by his grace for us to be a part of. And as this passage so clearly tells us, may we love him like that and seek to bring that out in one another that each of us and all of us may more powerfully reflect who he is and who we are as a local body in Christ. This night, if you've never obeyed the gospel of Jesus, he would beckon you to be born into the family of God, to be baptized, to be added to the number of the saved. And if we can help you with that, we hope you would come. If you've already done that, but as God's child, you need prayers. What a wonderful opportunity tonight.
and to pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ is one of the highest honors that we have as God's people. If we can help you, if you need our help, we hope you'll come as we stand and sing.